Production. Recorded live. Welcome to Off the Post. I'm Russ Cohen. We've got Anthony Mingione. Ant, how are you? Doing good, Russell. How are you, sir? Good. We have Michael Jello as well, and we have a special guest. We've got Chris Johnson from Hockey Night in Canada, NHL Network, Sportsnet, a million different things. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. Just about anywhere that will employ me. That's the that's the list. Well, you know, it's always good to be employed. All right, so I'll I'll go up with the first question, and I'll give you a choice. You could have door number one, which would be a Toronto Blue Jays question, or door number two, which would be a salary cap question. The choice is yours. I'm going to go with the salary cap. Uh, my Blue Jays have me a little forlorn off season. Okay, so with the salary cap, knowing that the players just got stiffed, from the 2015-16 escrow loss, can we just see a flat salary cap? Like, is that not possible? Isn't this just sort of like investing your money and then having it never come back and then getting mad about it years later? It's possible, I would say. I mean, it's going to be – no one wants to think about this, but it's and you know high occupatized level. But, you know, we're not that far away from the next uh, opportunity – for the players and league to bargain and, and you know clearly the players hate escrow mm-hmm. uh, the idea. And I think that there's a real opportunity in that bargaining session to, to find it just that uh, can satisfy more people and you know maybe you don't have uh, the cap getting inflated the way it does and, and you know which causes a high escrow and causes you know some of the issues in the sport. But uh, yeah this the system is I won't say it's broken, but it, but it's not working great. And uh, you know, I hope they they can uh, overcome their differences to find something that works a little better the next time around. Chris, my question for you is um, about obviously uh, news broke obviously today about Red Fisher uh, passing away. I just wanted to get some of your uh, your memories and or interactions with Red. Uh, obviously, a legend uh, in journal in, in in journalism. Period. Yeah, you know, he was already. By far, he was already a hockey hall of famer, you know, 10 years, 20 years before I was getting in a press box with him. So, you know, he, he was, you know, a pretty intimidating guy in some ways just because of the, the aura he had around him. But, uh, you know, real, real interesting person. I mean, anyone who covers uh, a, a league and a team for, you know, 60 years almost, I mean, that's incredible. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. 10 years maybe into, into doing that, and I'm, I can't even imagine that. Everything uh, he has to do and had to do to be there, you know, really come out since the earlier today have been, you know, quite something. You know, Michael Farber uh, had a tremendous obituary on him, and, and uh, you know, this is the guy that, that paved the way for any of us that uh, are looking to make, uh, you know, a living covering professional hockey. And you know, he's he's uh, he's number one, literally. He literally had the number one card. Yeah. Uh, they're numbered in the Professional Hockey Writers Association, so you know it's hard to hard to get any better than that. Chris, we're a little over five weeks out from the NHL trade deadline. We're going to have a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation. But one thing, just as an overview, looking at what's going on, there seems to be a lot more sellers this year than in previous years. I mean, more than half of the Atlantic Division are probably sellers. What do you think that that means in terms of the market before February 26th? Well, what I, you know, my first thought that it means, Mike, is that 
you know, we might get more trades, you know, because the prices may not be as high as in the past. Uh, because the, the one thing about those sellers, I mean, uh, with it, with, with almost no exceptions, we're talking about players that are going to be unrestricted free agents and those teams are just trying to get, uh, you know, what they can get on, on the, on the market, you know, and, and, you know, for players that are, you know, going to walk away and, you know, in a season where those teams aren't uh, in, in a position to try to win a Stanley cup or even make the playoffs. So, you know, I think that when you have a situation where it's not one or two or three teams that are really holding things up and, trying to play against each other. To me, the conditions are there. I could see a little bit more movement. And, you know, because there's still a number of, of, of other teams that are going to be buyers. And, and so, you know, the prices probably won't be as high as, as we've seen at times, uh, you know, which probably hold up something like the uh, because, we, you know, arguably the, the most valuable player or the, the most worthy player that, that's likely to move in this deadline period. Uh, but, you know, for, for some of the smaller moves, uh, I think that, that, you know, if you're a seller right now, you're probably looking what you can and maybe get the business started uh, a little bit early rather than waiting until a week or two out. I could see that. Okay, so, Chris, we, we're going to have a Seattle hockey team, and it just seems like all of a sudden it's like a rushed wedding. Like all of a sudden names are being filed. We hear the Evergreens. We hear the Sea Lions. Like a year ago, it was like, yeah, maybe there'll be hockey in Seattle. And now it's like, yeah, there's hockey in Seattle. There's a name. Why is this advancing so rapidly? I think the easiest answer is that the league would have been there five years ago if, if there was a building. And, and now that the building you know, has been settled, and, you know, they've worked everything out with the city to, to clear that sort of last major. Everything else is, is ongoing. And, you know, I've, I've been in touch a little bit with Tim Wywicki, who's, who's, you know, helping lead the efforts there. And, you know, he told me they're putting together already a, basically a business team of people to, to get ready to sell. Um, I believe the plan is still in early February to, to start taking deposits on season tickets, which is, you know, a key part of this. You know, they're, they're in the midst of uh, filing the, the expansion paperwork they have to do for the league, which is a huge doc- document with lots of lawyerly yeah. and uh, financial stuff involved, a little bit above my pay grade, but it's not a, it's not like me applying for my job at Wendy's back in high school. I think there's a little <laughs> bit more uh, there's a little bit more involved there. But you know, really, I, I think the biggest uh, you know my first impression to answer your question is that the league has wanted to be there so badly. I think that they finally have a group that that's that's got everything in place and they're and they're working to get that stuff in place. And, you know, the city's on board and they have uh, the, the plan there to, to renovate Key Arena. So, you know, I'm, I'm personally excited about it, uh, hockey coming to Seattle. I feel a little bit for whoever the future GM of that team is because the Vegas Golden Knights are currently making uh, that person's job more difficult by the success that they've had in their first season sure. as an expansion team. But, uh, you know, it, there's there's a lot that's going to happen in a hurry. And, and look, now I think we're, we're all wondering when will that team officially be granted because that hasn't happened yet. I, I think the all-star break when the board of governors get together here in a week and a half, two weeks is, is a little too soon, but you know, probably the, the June meeting of, of the, the league's owners, you know, maybe we're, we're talking then about, you know, the officially a franchise, uh, you know, getting a word to that city. Chris, you were in, uh, obviously in Philadelphia last night uh, for the, uh, for the Ark Lindros uh, ceremony. Um, wanted to get your impressions on the Flyers at this point of the season, and in your view, even on a smaller scale, uh, what do you think they might 
uh, do at the trade deadline? Well, they seem abnormally patient at the moment, you know, which is not something I, I generally associate with that particular organization. And perhaps that's not fair to Ron Hextall, but he was born and bred in it. So, uh, you know, they, they don't, they don't, you know, strike me as a team that's going to be terribly active, but it, it's been a strange season. I mean, any, any year where you lose 10 in a row at some point and, and you know, they, they've had, you know, a lot of wins since, you know, that, that losing streak, uh, you know, that's, it's just a sort of a turbulent year. I, I think that the organization in the big picture is trending in a pretty good direction, especially with all those uh, young defensemen that they, they've, they've got there. I mean, that's, a, a, a sort of quality of your, your team that you know, I think at some point, if they ever decide down the road to start, you know, moving around chips, I mean, uh, they're going to have players that other teams are going to want in those type of trades. A little bit like Carolina, uh, where you know, over some amount of time, they, they might arrive at a, a day where they don't keep all those those young promising D-men. So, uh, my my honest feeling right now is that we're not going to see a whole lot of them uh, being too active uh, before the deadline. Obviously. Uh, they want to get into the playoffs, and they're in a position where, uh, you know, it's basically coin flip. I mean, the Metropolitan Division right now is a mess. With yeah. uh, the team wins two or three in a row from when we're talking now, and you know, it, everything looks different. It just gets flipped all around and jumbled around. But um, you know, I, I really believe Ron Hextall when he says he's going to be uh, patient with this group and, and give them one more year. I think next year really sets up as a, a make-or-break kind of year. You know, probably for Dave Hextall. Uh, you know, to, to make sure that they have the kind of success that, that they're expecting. And I, I really do think the expectations go up next year. And, you know, what happens between that and that is a bit, almost bonus in their eyes. Chris, we're going to see, you know, rentals like Evander Kane and Mike Green, you know, uh, guys with expiring contracts move before the before the deadline. But the, you know, the real juicy stuff is whether, uh, you know, an Eric Carlson – who you know we know is the best or one of the top two or three defensemen in the league. You know if, whether he gets moved or whether an Oliver Ekman Larson gets moved. Do you think it's going to be limited to just rentals, or do you think there's a possibility of these guys with term left on their deals get moved? More than other years, Mike, I think that there's there's a possibility we see movement from from beyond the the rental class, and and you know there's some interesting dynamics at play. I think Oliver was really bears watching at this point. I mean, I mean, we've talked about, obviously, the number of players there that will probably get moved, whether it's a Mike Hoffman or, you know, Zach Smith. You know, the players maybe that don't grab the biggest headline. But this this Carlson situation is real. And when you have Pierre Dorian meeting uh, reporters for a little State of the Union kind of thing on Thursday night prior to their game in Ottawa and, and saying even just a little bit flippantly, you know, we, we'd listen to offers on him, I mean, that's that's news, and that's that is a window into what the thought process is there. And I think the biggest issue, if you're the Senators, is you're not totally sure Eric Carlson will resign with you. And, right. You know, I, I think especially with the ownership situation, that's not a slam dunk. And so if you're managing that team, and even though you love the player and you want to have him be a senator for life, and even though he married an Ottawa girl over the summer, and there's a lot of reasons to think that Eric is going to stay there. Uh, I think that there's at least a couple that, that you know, doubts in Pierre Dorian's mind about whether Eric Carlson is someone, you know, no matter what the contract is uh, they're offering, whether, you know, he, he wants to be in this thing long-term with Eugene Melnick as the owner. So it, to me, him casually mentioning, I, I would listen to offers, you know, everyone gets traded, Wayne Gretzky gets traded, you know, but it's sort of 
the old line. I mean, I, I think he wants to see what those offers might be because, you know, that, that to me is a difficult trade to handicap. You know, even if you're in another front office and, and you just think, all right, we want to get this guy and we know it's going to cost us a fortune. You know, what does that fortune look like? We haven't seen too many trades like that. I guess maybe the PK Subban Shea Weber trade is the closest in, in the last number of years, you know, but that was done in the off season. Uh, it's two similar players in very specific circumstances around their salary situations there. You know, in Eric Carlson, you're, you're dealing for a player uh, you're, you're going to hope to extend. You, you can't even do that at this point. And the, the number of assets you might have to give up, I think, would be significant. But you also have a team like Las Vegas. And, and, yep. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. This is more speculation than, than anything else. But that's a team that, that has different circumstances around, you know, where they're at. And they have a ton of assets because of they just entered the league and, and you know, everything they did in the expansion draft process and acquiring draft picks and, you know, lots of players. I mean, I, I could see it happening. I don't think it's likely with Carlson, uh, but between him and Ekman Larson uh, and even someone like Max Pacioretty, you know, I, I do think it's possible. That it's It's been a strange year. You've had a few teams like Edmonton and, and Montreal and even Ottawa to a lesser degree that entered the season thinking they were going to be in the mix and they've basically been out of it, you know, from November on. Uh, you know, those those there's a lot of hard questions being asked by ownership groups there and in those front offices. And I think there's pressure to try to show you're, you're doing, you know, something that, that is going to get out of the muck. And, you know, I, I think because of that, it, it's it's probably a little bit more than a renter's market, you know, unlikely normally see. But, you know, as we're talking tonight, it's just hard to say which player and which one is, is going to be the one that, that produces something. But, you know, I, I really believe it's possible. And, and normally I would be, a bit skeptical about this sort of speculation. All right, Chris, we got one last question for you, and then we'll let you go. We really appreciate you you coming on on short notice. Uh, the Olympics. For Chris Johnson, the guy, just the guy who after work is going to maybe stay up until 3 in the morning, I kid, to watch hockey. Um, <laughs> are you excited? Are you tentative about it like what, what's your feeling on the upcoming men's hockey i think the women's hockey will be great i actually think that'll be the best story but what do you think about the men's hockey i'm excited but you know i have to tell you personally russell that for me that it's just something i've, I've covered the last two olympics in vancouver and sochi uh, i'm just a sucker for the olympics in general okay. and so the olympics when it's you know bobsled and you know being a canadian if, if canada's got someone in the medal hunt for whatever time that event goes on for 90 minutes, I'll get into that. And, you know, I don't even know the athletes' names at this point. Right. So, you know, for me, just there's something about the Olympics that, that really resonates. I think that that's true for a lot of people. I mean, people that are normally sports fans or hockey fans get dialed in at that time of year because the stories are so great. It's presented well. You know, it's, it's, you can you flip it on at any time during the two weeks and there's something happening and you have rooting interest. I mean, it's a special thing. So I'm personally going to watch the, the, the men's hockey tournament and the women's, but, but the men's, you know, I know that Canada plays at seven Eastern, the first game, I think they have a 10 PM game, the next game, Eastern time. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not in prime time. It's not uh, requiring me to wake up at two in the morning where, you know, let's be honest, I probably wouldn't do that. Right. Um, but you know, the, 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 the thing I'm fighting a little bit, if I'm being honest, is just, kind of like a little nagging feeling of regret that we're not going to still see the best on best. Right. So I think with where the NHL is at, this would have been 
a more hyped tournament, even in South Korea, uh, than than possibly the last couple, which are the ones I've been around and, and associated with, you know, inside and out. And just because you you would have a Team USA with you know all these sort of transcendent young stars that, that mm-hmm. at least have you believing that they could win, I would think. I mean, we, we don't know what the team would be. We're getting right. into speculative territory, but you know, even as a Canadian, you'd be seeing Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby playing together. It's it's yeah. sort of a passing of the torch. You know, it's it's two play. You know, it's a player McDavid grew up idolizing Crosby. I mean, this is what I love about those tournaments because you wrap it in the international feel. I, I think it would have been great. So it, it's slightly overshadowed because I'm in the back of my mind. I'm thinking that I could be going to cover this instead of you know game 42 of the schedule or 45 or 48, whatever we're at uh, for any given team. Um, but I still think when the, the tournament starts, even with, you know, a lot of players, I don't know. And you know, I, I do follow international hockey, uh, you know, relatively closely. I think probably more than the average uh, American, even hockey writer. Um, but there's still players in this tournament. I don't know what they're going to be. I don't know what the teams are going to be. I think Russia's obviously the favorite given yeah. who they have and, and that they play together. But I'm going to be dialed in to it at least for a couple of days. And if Canada falls on its face, I'll probably stop watching or getting up and <laughs> watch a hockey game. Nope, that's fair. Hey, Chris, thanks. Everybody should follow him if they're not already at Reporter Chris. Have a good night, and we'll catch you down the road. You too, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Thanks, thanks, Chris. thanks Chris. All right, that was a great spot. <clears throat> what a great guy. I mean, really, he, he really did do this short notice. I know I had um, written on Facebook that I'd have a big league guest, but I was really fooling around. I, I hadn't booked anybody. So... <laughs> It's usually what happens, though. You know, sometimes it's just it happens on, yeah. on a quick. Uh, on, on, you happen to see a person, and again, we were again fortunate last night since Chris was in town with the Lindros yeah. uh, ceremony. So he was gracious enough to come on. We really appreciated it. Yeah, so let's, I, I, let, I, go ahead, Mike. Let me let me just say briefly. I, I, I've gotten to know Chris over the last couple of years, and now that I'm covering the Leafs on a day-to-day basis. I get to see him for, for, for almost every game. And, you know, he's he's as big as he can be in this business, being on Hockey Net in Canada and, and being one of the, the, the insiders for Sportsnet. And he couldn't be a nicer guy and more welcoming. So I really appreciate uh, you know, him being the, the kind, of guy, kind of guy he is. Yeah, I kind of got to know him a little bit at the uh, 2014 Stanley Cup. I just kept seeing him, so we <laughs> just kept talking to him. So, no, and he is, he is just a good guy. Okay, so we did all watch Flyers, Leafs, so let's mm-hmm. discuss. Yeah. Uh, Ant, I'll let you go first. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they swept the season series. I don't know if you could feel that great about it, but, hey, a win's a win. Like, you know, mm-hmm. how did you feel after that one? It's a tale of uh, two games, basically. I mean, we started off first, Philly coming into this one, Really laying a pretty bad egg in uh, in New York on Tuesday, so they yep. they came in and really I thought defended Toronto particularly well in that first period, uh, and then things just kind of the wheels fell off in the second period. Yeah, uh, for them defensively, they really I thought Toronto really was causing that third pairing of Radko Gudis and Brandon Manning to really get scrambly in their own end, and it's kind of shortened things up and. Again, Toronto, their credit, uh, was able to take advantage of, of a turnover, um, kind of hopped over Goss's fair stick, and then Connor Brown basically for – and again, for as sensational as Michael Neuverth was with some of the stops, but that, the goal that he gave up to Connor Brown, I'm, I'm watching replay and going, man, you got to yeah. close those pads a little faster. It was really kind of – he was basically daring him to put it right there, and he, and he did. And um, 
then third period, whatever happened in the locker room, again, coming out after that second period, um, Flyers came out just, just firing on all cylinders. And um, really the Patrick goal, I mean, you could – and that's the other thing, the impression I had from this game is the fact that Nolan Patrick's speed is really beginning, is starting to really come around now. His yeah. bursts on several offensive forays and obviously on the on the goal that he scored really showed more of what we saw, obviously, in Brandon uh, a couple of years ago when he was healthy. So he's seemingly, again, coming along right now as their third line center and then you know they get a quick they get the quick tying goal in order and then it gets scrambly again in the in the third period. I think both teams pretty much are trading punches, but neither able to crack uh, Anderson or Neuvirth. And then then came overtime, and that was over pretty darn about <laughs> pretty quickly, which I think we were all we were all pretty happy for with an we were. start. <laughs> we were. We were. Now, Mike, before like, you answer, Ant, do you remember we were talking to Chris, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I goofed around saying, well, you know, maybe you'll get an easy night. The, Leafs will go up 2 nothing, and then I said, but then they'll probably blow the lead. And yep. they really followed that script. It was crazy. Yeah, it did. Uh, and that's <laughs> been the story of the Leafs the last few games. I mean, they, they, they had a one nothing lead against St. Louis, and, and Frederick Anderson stoned the Blues blind, and I think they had over 40 shots. And the, the Leafs allow the tying goal with 57 seconds. So most of the veteran scribes in Toronto basically had to throw their computer against the wall because they had their story written. And then, you know, all of a sudden the, the story changed. And that's been symptomatic of the Leafs over the last, I would say, six to eight weeks. They, they started out like a house on fire, they were wide open offensively like they did last year. And then all of a sudden, I think, you know, Mike Babcock started saying we need to play better two-way, and I agree with that. They they need to be a better two-way team to, to play more responsible defensively, limit chances uh, from teams. But the problem is, is that over the last six weeks, they've proven that when they do that, they don't limit the other team's chances that much, and they're ba- basically their offense has dried up. They can pl- they can expend a lot of energy trying to shut down the other team, but usually they have they lessen their own chances and they don't score. And last night, you know, they're up two nothing. Cadre gets a Cadre gets a breakaway early in the third period, misses the breakaway. Patrick scores two two in the third late. Cadre and Marlowe two on one break. Cadre sets them up perfectly. Neuvirth robs. Marlowe blind when the Leafs get chances and then Matthews early in the overtime when they get chances they don't cash them in and then the other team usually comes back on a bad giveaway or something like that and last night it was the two-on-one where Nylander and Gardner screwed it up and and the other team wins and that's you know the the thing is the Leafs are 12 points ahead of everybody in the Atlantic so they're in a comfortable position but the way they're going right now I don't have a chance in hell beating Boston or Tampa in the first round yeah, I think all of that is fair. All right, so there's obviously big injuries in the NHL, but I'm not getting crazy. I mean, look, and with Nugent Hopkins, like, that season's over. Like, it was probably over anyhow. So yeah. <laughs> that one doesn't get me crazy. <clears throat> Excuse me, the, the Shattenkirk one will certainly get a lot of talk, but mm-hmm. as I had mentioned to, to Mike earlier in the day, and you have probably more medical expertise than anybody on this call, you don't really know about a meniscus tear until you actually know the percentage of it, of the tear. Yeah. So I I, th- I happen to think that it you know it could go up to eight weeks, but I think it's going to be sooner that he'll be back. And if it were sooner that he's back, this is the best time to have it happen when the All Star break hasn't happened yet, because at least there's that built in cushion for time. 
Yeah, and I should always obviously make a mention that my wife is fond of saying, of course, having a little bit of medical knowledge is the most dangerous possible thing <laughs> on planet Earth. So we should certainly put that in there. But I, yeah. I would concur on that case. That, yeah, based on what we can heard and what we've seen, that it may not be quite as, as long. But, again, you want to take your time with this again oh, you yeah. know, with, the, with the investment. What has been, i got to pass it to you, Russ. What has been your impression of Shattenkirk as a Ranger in your own per, as you've watched him this season? Okay, so early in the season, he was everything I thought he'd be on the power play, on three-on-three, he was great. Then, last few weeks, was really lost in the muck, and clearly he's been playing injured. Now, defensively, a little more scrambly than even he was in St. Louis, and to be honest, I think that has to do with him never finding the right pairing. I think they just, they, they never found him the right guy. To be honest, I think they finally found him the right guy in Shea, but then his knee went bad, so his play wasn't great, but he certainly was settling in more than I felt like he was before. He's never going to be a great defensive player, but he's better defensively than Keith Yandel. And it's not saying much. <laughs> it's progress. <laughs> but, it's, but it's the way it is. But as far as like movement on the power play, Movement when you have three-on-three, when he's right, he is pretty special in that regard. And I felt like he delivered for a little while, a short window for that. So now that's what they need to get back before the end of the season. And, you know, the Rangers don't, they don't like to call a season. So they're not going to call the season. They'd have to be, you know, seven, eight points back with a day before the deadline to actually be sellers. If you go back... It's been a long time since the Rangers have been sellers. And that's just because they make like a million dollars a game in the playoffs. They literally do. And the Knicks don't bring yeah. in anything. Like that's yeah. the economics of it. That's yeah, true. Yeah. So we look around the league and Florida beat the Vegas Golden Knights. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. I'm sure I'm gonna, Gerard, I'm I'm sure gonna, Gerard Gallant is bummed because I'm sure all, of all the games that they've won, the one he yeah, would want to win is that against was, that team. That was true. In, that that was in Sharpie. That was in Sharpie. That one he probably had on the schedule circled about fifteen times. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was a little, you know, unofficial um, monetary prize written on the bulletin board saying if you get the game, <laughs> you know, the little Ron Wilson action. You know, if you beat this team, you know, uh, you'll you'll find a find a crisp, you know, crisp hundred dollar bill in your in your pocket at the end of the night. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is a hundy even anything to these guys? I don't know. Well, no, no, hey, you would think not with them making millions of dollars, but you know, one money is even if it's a, a little money is it's something that you know somebody with a competitive edge always, you know, t- will be more than glad to work a little extra to get. Now, if you believe in miracles, and I know you do, I know you guys do. Anthony Emmy won a game tonight, <laughs> and Max Pacioretty had two goals. And for the amount of time that he's been talked about being on the block, and it kind of makes me wonder, is Bergevin doing that to spark him, and did the spark happen? Like, it, it sometimes it's, does work that I way. I can't put it – you know, listen, they would look at it as, 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 as whatever gets them the, the outcome that, they were, that they're looking for, which is, again, either getting production out of Max Pacioretty or getting value in return in the trade. 
of you know in the, in that circumstance, and that's what I look at there. Either way, you know, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the healthiest situation long term sure. for, for for the player and for the team. But if that's sort of what's needed to goose things along, again, at the end of the day, I do. I, my gut is, I think that there's a decent chance that Pacioretty is going to get dealt this, uh, at the deadline this year. I just, it, it's, it, he's been hovering around it for a few years. He's had yeah. it happen before, and it just feels like this would be the time. The question is. Again, with everybody knowing that, is 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 that necessarily going to mean he's going to get sprung? It might mean we may be it may be we may be in Dallas, uh, and maybe a draft day trade or something like that. That that tends to, that when that movement might occur, but yeah. I, it may be it may be counterintuitive, but I actually think that him playing better increases the chances of him being moved because yeah. remember before the last couple of weeks, I think he had four or five goals. You know, he uh, he's a good player. He's somebody who scored 30 goals, I think, four or five times. I think everybody knows that. But, you know, when, you've, when you're scoring in single digits and you're struggling and the team is struggling, then everybody can throw low ball offers at you. And I'm sure Bergevin wasn't going to take that. But now, with, with Patch already playing as he has in the past, where he's, you know, a top-line winger or at least a top-six winger, uh, I think you know teams like St. Louis or Calgary or Pittsburgh or whoever needs a scoring forward, they're going to have to pony up and make a, a legitimate offer, and that I think would be more likely that Bergevin would accept that type of offer for for Pacioretty. Yeah, I think I, I think that's fair. All right, so before we go, I will completely 100% put Anthony on the spot and say <laughs> what is going to happen Sunday between the Eagles and the Vikings. Oh boy, and I don't I, I don't have a feeling sort of either way on. That. I don't either, I really to be honest. It's I really such don't. A swing. Um, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. Seventeen fourteen Philadelphia. Okay. Mike, any thoughts? I'm I'm going to use my best clubber lang intimidation or imitation prediction pain. Um, Honestly, I I think that the, you know, they both have great defenses. I actually think the advantage in this game is the fact that Keenum is a better quarterback than Nick Foles. I mean, now I have to say that, you know, home field advantage, especially with uh, Philadelphia fans throwing snowballs with batteries, uh, might 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 put them over the top. I, I just I get a weird feeling about Minnesota, so I think Minnesota is going to win the game. Okay, and I, and I have this feeling, and I wrote about it on Sportsology that I think Jacksonville will beat New England. I really did not do it because I have a dislike for New England, and I yeah. didn't really think Tom Brady's hand was a big issue, which I still don't. I just have this feeling that they have the right defense to do it, and a great enough running back to do it. That's really bottom line. That's where, where my head was at. This whole thing with his hand, this is the biggest distraction, the biggest shell game I have ever seen. I will bet you, and there's no way I can find out, I will bet you there's nothing wrong with his hand, and this is all just chicanery. It, it wouldn't shock me, and I, look, it definitely wouldn't shock me. That's all I'll say. And any thoughts on that game? Um, you know what? It, it, it's I, I, the way that Mike has sort of an odd feeling about Minnesota. I have an odd feeling about Jacksonville. 
we might have a shocker. Maybe by maybe a late field goal, same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Where both both conference championship games end up coming down to low, low, lower scoring than expected. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Jacksonville by a very similar. They might be by a very similar score. I'm going to say maybe 24-21. Okay. Well, I will tell you this. I was down in Jacksonville when the Eagles were there in the Super Bowl. I'll mm-hmm. save that for next week in case they're back in Jacksonville, actually playing Jacksonville. Well, actually they won't be in Jacksonville. They'll be in Minnesota, but they'd be playing Jacksonville. I'll save that, what I think of Jacksonville, till next week. Nah. <laughs> nice tease. Nice tease. We'll hold everybody into suspense on that. But that's it. That's it for the show. We're back. We'll be back next week. We thank Chris for coming on. And thank everybody for hanging in there. We we had it, so we're sort of like on TBS time. We started late. We ended weird. It's just the way it is. That's <laughs> it for off the post. We'll catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody. <laughs>